Hey, man. Welcome to the Badam Chain with Carl. Howdy, my routers, and welcome back to the Badam Chain with Carl, man. Chad Bryden, part two, man. As promised. The other day I said, uh, you know, Chad wasn't done with his answer. He actually reached out to me um, and said, hey, man, I think I could have answered that better. And so what follows is a bonus track, if it were, to our original episode. I tried to add it on the end, and honestly, uh, for whatever technical difficulty, I couldn't add it. So I just decided, you know what? F it, man. Let's let let's create a whole new episode. So, this is an appendix to the Chad Ryden episode, and I just felt it was worthy to release it the same week. So, hey, man, Chad's the first guy to get you know two episodes in one week with me. So, hey, but if any other comic in Nashville is has done it for twenty years, come talk to me. We can probably do two. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, happy Friday, y'all. And guess what? It's Chad riding. And without further ado... you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution and if that's true I think I'm the reason America's fucked um, I dodged the IRS for four years I told the IRS to suck it don't do that because they will not I learned this if you flirt with the IRS you will get fucked but you won't get off that's that's not what they do. We had IRS debt, we had student loans, we were in a house we couldn't afford. Fast forward a couple years, we filed bankruptcy. That was great, don't feel bad for me. It was awesome, I would highly recommend it if you're a screwball, it is great. I learned this in the research, there's two types of debt that do not go away with bankruptcy. One, student loans, two, IRS debt. Unless you put that shit on credit cards first. <laughs> I'm debt free, everybody! It's a little loophole we call being a shitbag. It's fantastic. Because it all goes away. The stress goes away, the phone calls go away, the house goes away. It's all gone! You don't have to worry about it anymore. If you're anything like me, your wife goes away. She bounced. She's out of 5,000. She ain't coming back either. She's gone. It's good. I don't know if you're divorced. If you know somebody who's divorced and they're sad about it, they did it wrong because it's great. I don't know about you, but I took great pleasure in changing my relationship status on Facebook to widowed. She's dead to me. She doesn't like that joke. But that doesn't matter anymore. Figures could ever represent. I just want a cartoon. 
cartoon me that represents my new life now, so just be a, a single dude standing there with a giant smile on his face, a beer in his hand, and money in his pocket for the first time in 10 years. I don't want to peel their families off of their car and put them on the back of my car, but bend them over so my guy can fuck them in the ass. And then peel off all their Jesus fish and make them watch. I'm so upset about stickers or Jesus. He was cool. It's the people who won't shut up about him. They're the problem. <laughs> I figure the only thing that really matters now is that I'm a good father. I've got a 10 year old little girl. I know I'm a good father because every single day for the last 10 years, I mean, for the last five years, I have packed her school lunch for her. Every single day, I'm tempted to put an ice cold can of beer into that lunch. And I don't do it because I'm a good father. And that would be hilarious. She's got a pretty good sense of humor, but the school board does not. She'd show up, she'd start unpacking her stuff, she'd be like, sandwich, chips, no, dad! And somebody would notice, and they would swoop in, and they would scoop all that shit up, and they would take her to the office, they would give me a call, and I would throw her under the bus. I'd just be like, you, I keep telling her she can't drink at school! She never listens to me! So we're back with Chad Ryder, man. And so, like, let's get down to the nitty gritty, man. So, like, like we talked we talked about this earlier, and like, I know you you felt like you wanted to follow up. What was the Nashville comedy scene like when you started? When I started, there was one open mic on Tuesday night, and that's it. And that's then it. Zany's shows Wednesday through Sunday, and that's it. Mm -hmm. And then you know there were random other one offs where like there was shows. At Guido's Pizza on down on Twenty First near Vanderbilt, um, random other shows here and there, but not nothing, um, not 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 the two three open mics a night that we've got now. Sure, and and certainly not the the number of monthly regular shows that we eventually got to. Mm -hmm. um, all that stuff came as comics started figuring out. You know, you got to do it yourself. You've got to make these opportunities for yourself. And if you're not getting booked somewhere else. You you set up your own show and you start doing it and then you know you you've created that stage time for yourself. Um, that makes now, sense. You know, I've always had that do-it-yourself attitude where, yes, I wanted to work clubs. Yes, I wanted to 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 work with famous comics and stuff. But I also want to get out there and do my own thing. And so, um, yeah, but and that that and and everybody in my little generation was kind of of that same attitude. So Craig Smith was really big about starting his own shows and de developed monthlies uh, at, at the end and other venues. And mm -hmm. um, then the problem we were running into was like a lot of us wanted to get out on the road, and you know, it, working as a house MC at Zanies is a, a great opportunity. And it's the first job you get in comedy and, you know, you, you're meeting people that you would never, ever meet if I, if I was doing a bar show in Birmingham or wherever. But um, you, you want to get out there and get middle act jobs. And to do that, you've got to have a good tape of you doing 30 minutes, mm -hmm. or at least you did then. And uh, there was nowhere in town to do 30 minutes as a local comic. So we started setting up shows in coffee shops. Like I, I set up a show in coffee shop in True 3D and Goodness in National City where we could just do... 
30 minutes an hour and learn how to pace ourselves doing that kind of time. Um, but, you know, a, a, as things grew, it was better and better and better. And it's it, like you say, you know, it just keeps getting better as, as time goes on. Sure. Um, not to say that there weren't a lot of shows back in the day. Like there was, I remembered at one point, like 2006, I think I did 16 shows in one week what? here in town. In, in Nashville. In Nashville. So I was booked as the MC at Zanies, and I think they did eight or nine shows. Let's see. So Wednesday, Thursday, two Friday, three Saturday, one Sunday. So that's eight shows. I did eight shows at Zanies. I did all the open mics. We had a, a monthly show in Clarksville or a weekly show in Clarksville that we did on Wednesdays. I did that. And then there were a couple monthly shows that just happened to fall in that same week. And I literally did all of them. And that was the most shows I've ever done in a week in my entire life. 16. <laughs> Crazy. Which I can't imagine doing right now. Like, sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Even if there was no pandemic, I can't imagine doing 16 shows in one week. So, so by 2006, you're already starting to see a big influx of, of, like you said, like comics putting on shows. Oh, yeah. Like, like much more opportunities are starting to happen. So I, I would then. say by 2003, we had several regular recurring shows. And then, um, um, yeah, and it just kept growing. And mm-hmm. videos come and go, you know, but um, in general, like if a show shut down, the producer of that would be like, all right, I got to figure out something else and start a new show somewhere, you know? Yeah. Um, but I what? wanted to tell you, like, one of the, there, there's two major things that changed in the scene. Okay. Uh, that, from my perspective, and one was uh, Zanies. Okay. So Zanies used to be the the green room for comics at Zanies used to be under the staircase, which which is a liquor storage room now. <laughs> um, so you, you know where the comics all sit, kind of in that back corner, that little door. Yeah, that was the green room, and the green room that they have now was the office, and they had three desks in there, and they did office stuff in there, and no comics walked through there to get down to the stage except for Caroline Ray. I saw her do that, and I thought, ooh, that's classy. She walked through the door. <laughs> everybody else literally every other comic would walk from the bar area through the audience to get to the stage it feels like a wrestler right that's like a yes. wrestler's entrance so yeah. yeah you would you'd the mc would walk through this audience to get to the stage he would do his set he would introduce the middle act the middle act would walk through the audience to get to the <laughs> stage the mc would walk through the audience to get back to the bar okay green room and then the headliner would literally walk through the audience to get up onto the stage wow uh, now when I think about it, it's like, that was crazy. That's crazy. Um, but you know, eventually, and, and the green room, I mean, not the, um, the, the, uh, the condo was across the street, the, the crack house that's across the street from Zany's where they have that parking lot, the additional parking overflow parking. Uh That was that crack house was the comedy condo. condo. Okay. And so there's multiple bedrooms in there and it was disgusting. There, the, (laughs) The uh, line cook, Jack, used to live in this house. It's mm-hmm. covered with beer cans and there's bongs sitting everywhere. And, yeah. you know, traveling comics would be in this filthy, filthy place. True. And local shitheads like me would go in there and hang out with them and get all fucked up and then walk back across the street to do the show. So eventually they bought, when they built those new condos right there on that little s- section of uh, whatever that road is, um, they uh, renovated that house and cleaned it up and kicked that guy out. He didn't work in Zanies anymore. <laughs> and they uh, made that the offices. They made the 
current green room the nice green room that it is which yeah so now they've got like the best one of the nicest condos in the country if you're traveling nice and uh but so that was a dynamic change of how the shows ran day in day out at Zanies, and then um, and I always thought that was weird. now that I think about it, like so weird that we used to do that. The other thing that was major, the major change in Tennessee comedy, okay. was the smoking laws. So previous to two thousand six, um, Zanies was smoking. Almost every restaurant had a smoking section. Literally every show I went to as a comic. See, now I've, I worked as a, the open mics really heavily and worked as an MC at Zany's through 2005. And 2005, I started going on the road. Uh-huh. 2000, by the time 2006 came around, I had to go to the doctor because I was, um, I had respiratory trouble and I don't have asthma or anything like that. But um, they determined I'm allergic to cigarette smoke and I was wow. literally in a smoky bar every single night. So, like, they gave me an inhaler and all this other stuff. Well, Tennessee laws changed in 2006, and smoking was no longer. Yet, you, 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 Zanies just said we're doing non-smoking shows from now on. Nice. Dan Hope did the last smoking show at Zanies, which was awesome. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it was non-smoking then on out. Yeah. Well, this changed a lot of things in um, open mics across Tennessee, and specifically here in Nashville. All comedy shows, the the the, the protocol was if you were a comic on that show and you had another show to get to that night, yes, get up, do your set, take off, go to your next show. That's fine. Now, if there wasn't another show, you had nowhere else to be. If you left after your set, you were an asshole. <laughs> and so one thing we used to do at the end of the Tuesday night open mic uh, was we would you know go through the whole lineup. And then we would do this thing called one last joke where comics would come back on stage and tell one more joke at the end of the show. Nice. We started doing this because we, we maybe you'd have 10, 11 comics and the bar wanted to milk more money out of the show by selling more drinks. They wanted the show to be longer. Sure. But also that, that's smart because it keeps comics there. If you yes. want to get back on stage, yes. hang out. And it was so we presented it as a chance to redeem yourself if you failed miserably or hmm. You know, take a little victory lap if you did a good job. But it was sure. a very short, like 30-second joke. If you went over a minute, then people were pissed off at you. <laughs> so, um, But also, when they called your name out, if you weren't there, the whole audience would chant, fuck them. So oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it was okay. offensive that you had left after your set, like a dick selfish move. Yeah. So um, once the smoking laws changed and you could not smoke indoors anymore – Comics who are smokers would have to go outside to smoke. Previously, they would just sit there and fire it up in the show and sit at their table or sit at the bar and smoke. Uh-huh. And so this was a new dynamic where comics weren't inside watching the show. Like all my peers, like the whole thing was focus on what's happening on stage. We're not fucking around. We're not talking. We're, we're quiet and we're paying attention to whoever's on stage and giving them our respect. So once the you had to smoke outdoors, motherfuckers were going outside. And now we have a culture where if you go to a show, there's always comics standing outside, not paying attention to the show, but smoking and hanging out. Yep. You know, that's fine. Do what you do. That's just something I noticed that's a huge, huge difference between when I was really active in open mics and what like the protocol is now. Like to do a non-smoking show back in the day, it would have to be a coffee shop. Like that's the only place I could go to. To, or a church show, you know, <laughs> that's the only place I could go. Cause otherwise I would have to come home and boil my clothes and take a shower as soon as I get home every single night. Hmm. You don't smoke, right? Disgusting. 
Um, yeah, but that was that was that's I think the major change between uh, like my open mic uh, days and and what goes on now is um, people not being inside the show when it's happening. Like that's it. Yeah, and they can miss out, right? It's obviously well. It's wild because like if you don't know what's going on on the stage, um, you don't know what's happening in the room. Like you could miss out on opportunities to be funnier just because mm. you could do um, a callback or a reference to something that happened earlier. And also like if you, if, if I'm later in the lineup, That's I want to see every single second of what happened on that show to find yeah. out what material worked, what material didn't mm-hmm. and try to figure out the audience. So when I go up, I've got a better chance of doing well. You know, if I can't, if, if I just walk in cold, anytime I've walked in cold and just tried to go up and do a set without really reading the room, mm-hmm. um, like it's gone poorly. I like sitting before the show starts and watching people come in and be seated. I like watching how they interact with the wait staff. I like how they wa- watching how they interact with the door staff and okay. each other. I like figuring out the group dynamics and then, you know, I, I kind of know who they are before the show's even started as an audience. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, what to lay on them and, and, how to interact with them. Oh yeah. I've changed set lists, you know, before the show started just because I thought, Oh, that's not going to work with these people. These people are really old or, you know, these people are all tourists. They're not going to know the local. I shouldn't do my, you know, hyper local material with these people. I should do something more general, you know, or vice versa. I think, I think that's an important part or important thing to say, Chad, because like, I think a lot of comics, especially when they're starting, they're like, I'm just going to do my stuff. Cause you know, they'll get it one way or the other, but the psychology around like playing the room is that could be a whole, you know, thing altogether, but also that comes with time, I guess, you know, and it like really experience, I mean, you know, when I started, I, I used to get notes from like Brian Dorfman, the guy that runs Zanies told me one time, he's like, you always play to the back of the room. He's like, every, every, every single time you get up, you're trying to get laughs from your friends in the back of the room. Mm-hmm. That's what you care about. And he was right. Like I, you know, I, I, my mentality was like comedy nerds. If comedy nerds get me and love me, then I'm doing the right thing. And there, right. there's something to be said for that. Like, like I, comics, comic kind of thing. Yeah, or? I do want my peers to appreciate my material. I do want to be liked by people who love comedy and breathe comedy. Sure. But if I'm being paid to entertain an audience of 250 people, mm-hmm. I, I should not be focused on the five people in the back who have seen every episode of Mr. Show and could recite to me, you know what I mean? Like they, I shouldn't be focused on people who Love Mr. are <laughs> as obsessed as I am because we are a minority for sure. Right. But I do want to go in and make, I, I, at this point, like I want to make myself laugh. I want to do things that make me happy first and foremost. And if they entertain audiences, great, which is probably a bad attitude. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like at this point I need to, I need to do my job. I need to do my time. I need mm-hmm. to entertain people as best as possible but I also want to feel good at the end of the day about what I've done, you know? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like you just got to be happy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you do that. You can try. <laughs> <laughs> Does well, any of that make sense? I think it makes sense to me, man. Like, yeah. like for sure. Like I really love that, you know, the whole like psychology thing and like, um, is that something you you picked up on like like just naturally or did somebody like guide you into that realm of like hey man you gotta gotta read the audience you gotta do this like like because i personally I, i'm a comic that that 
so far, like I, I do minimal crowd work. Yeah. You know, I, and I have friends that, that, that destroy crowd work. Yeah. You know, like I just had material, right. but like at what point for you, was it a conscious effort to um, read the room basically and, and try to enhance your comedy through that psychology? Well, it was forced upon me. I okay. didn't want to. Okay. But uh, like, okay, so they opened up a room in Knoxville eventually. It was off Cedar Bluff called the, it was a comedy zone. Beautiful room. It eventually became a side splitters. Um, and I'm not sure how they're doing now. But um, when that comedy zone opened, they didn't have local comics to really be competent MCs. They had no local scene. And so they booked me and um, Jesse Perry and Craig Smith and Dan Whitehurst for a while to come out and be their house MCs. So I got a week there a month um, where I would come out and, and work that room. And the guy that managed that room, Mark Craycraft, was very, very hands-on with, with his comics. And so okay. um, he was like, listen, I know you've been working as a house MC for Zanies for years. You're good. You're funny. He's like, I, he sat and he listened to all my, he watched me very intently that first show I did. And then he had a notepad with 25 items on it. Things that he notes that he took about my set that he wanted to correct me on. Um, and some of them were like very technical things. And some of them I thought were a little bit petty, but mm -hmm. now in retrospect, all of them were correct. Now he was an old school guy. So he, like he had a couple suggestions for this or that that I just said yes to his face and then disregarded. But <laughs> like he, he said this one thing like um, when I was talking to the audience, uh, I, I, I did do some crowd work and I said something to somebody and they responded to me. And when they did, I put my hand up over my eyebrows to block the stage lights so I could see them better. Yeah. And he just noted, he's like, don't ever do that because what you're telegraphing to them, even if they don't pick it up overtly, subconsciously you're telling them, I can't see you unless I do this, mm -hmm. which is true. And if you if if they think that you can't see them, then they have more of a um, likelihood of shouting shit out and heckling you mm. because they feel safer because mm. you're not looking at them like this. He's like, don't ever do that. Also, it blocks your face from a good, at least a third of the audience. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you, you do set up punchline funny face and it, your your expressiveness sometimes will get a laugh. So if you're blocking the view of that, you know, you're not going to get as big of a laugh. Okay. But he had all kinds of little notes like that. And he was like, all right, go back and do the, do, we'll, I'll watch, we'll follow up with you after this next set. So he did that all that first week. And by the end of the, you know, second show, he didn't have any more notes like that for me. He was just, you know, offering other criticism or whatever. Um, but it was a good week. But I still felt like, God damn, like nobody's ever sat and critiqued me like that, you know, over sure. and over and kind of coached me. I think well, it's important, I, though. Right? I, it was important. And I, and I was a better comic because of it. But I came back the next month to do my week. And he said to me, he let me do the first show. And then he sat me down. And he goes, OK, you did a great job. You, you, you didn't do anything that I hated. <laughs> um, he goes, but uh, he's like, you do a, you tend to do a different set of material each time you've gotten up in front of me for, you know, you've done a different, whatever it is, seven or eight minutes of material as an MC. Mm -hmm. He's like, um, 
He's like, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly trying to do different material. I'm trying to build a larger act. I'm trying to build a 30. And so I'm trying to run all my different little chunks of material so I can piece them together as a 30 in the future. Also, I want to demonstrate to you that, yes, I do have the time. And he's like, well, I've heard your jokes. I like them, but you're too reliant upon them. And he's like, I want you to completely go off script. In fact, I don't want you to tell any jokes the rest of this week. He's like, I want you to still do your time and I want you to still be funny, but I want you to go up there and do the announcements and do birthdays and anniversaries, crap like that, and just do crowd work for the rest of your time and not tell any jokes. If I hear a single joke that you've told before, I'm going to fire you. And I was like, (laughs) Jesus. Okay. No pressure. That was a huge, he told me that like 30 minutes before the show. 30 minutes before. Okay. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, well, fuck. But I, I did it. So he's forcing you to do crowd work. Forced me to do crowd work the entire week. Wow. And, at, at, you know, and I was like, God damn, I don't like this guy. Yeah. But he was trying to teach me. That's trial be, by fire, right? Yeah. He was trying to teach me to be looser. And also he, he, he just liked a little bit more crowd work. He wanted it to be more organic. Well, okay. I, you know, the third month I came back, he was like, do you know, your, your announcements and show stuff, you can do your material as well. And he gave me more time. Um, oh, so wow. Okay. That was nice. And so, so he, allotted, yeah. he allotted for crowd work and your own material. Yeah. And my material. And so that was nice. And he and I became really good friends and I, I love him to death, but um, like it, it, it was tough for a while because he, he was tough on us and he, he wanted, he just wanted better comics out of us, which I appreciated the funny sure. thing though. Like, you know, not all headliners want you to get up and do crowd work in front of them. I worked for Greg Warren at that club okay. and Greg got mad at me. Like he, he said after the first show, he's like, Hey man, do not talk to them. Do not address them individually. Do not ask them if they're celebrating anything. Do not check in on their birthdays or anniversaries. He goes, I don't give a fuck what they think or what they want to say. He's like, this is a monologue. And, and once you set the establishment, once you establish that it's a conversation, he's like, mm-hmm. it's impossible for the rest of the show to not be that interactive. Because they won't shut the hell up. Because <laughs> they, they won't. Because they expect that level of interaction. And so he's like, and I was like, well, I mean, honestly, the, the club manager is making me do this, this, and this. He goes, I'll, I'll take care of that. Just don't, don't fucking interact with them at all. And I'm wow. like, okay, yes, sir. And, you know, he was cool. He's a good, he's a good guy. He's a fun hang. He's a great comic. But mm-hmm. he just does not like interaction. Okay. And so I had to learn that, like, okay, shit. This, some, some motherfuckers don't want you to do that at sure. all. You know? and, 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 and that's your boss for the weekend or whatever. And like, right. Yeah. roll with it you know yeah you just got to do what they want to do and that's that's part of it that's part of being a good you know a good comic is is knowing that you're not it ain't your show you know unless yeah. you're headlining unless you put those butts in the seat yourself like it ain't it's not my show it's i'm i'm just i'm an employee of the club and i'm and i'm indirectly working for the other comics on the show they're there to support them specifically you know yeah man for sure so anyway <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Like, I, I really think it's relevant things that like people need to hear. Like, do you have any last advice before we wrap it up, man? Like, like people, even me, man, I, I'm still brand new, but like, do you have any advice on comics that want to hit that big stage, man? Like, like, especially in weird times right now, but like, 
if somebody's wanting to start being a comic in 2021, I don't know why they would, man. But like, if they would, right? Yeah. It's been their goal. Do you have any advice being an old school guy and a guy that's been around the block more than a few times? Well, the the advice is very simple. Every single comic will say the same thing. Write as much as possible. Get on stage as much as possible. That's it. I honestly can't give anybody career advice. Um, I, I, I asked Stanhope this one time. I was like, what do I do? Like, I'm on the road as a middle act. I'm trying to get more gigs i'm trying to do more stuff i'm trying to get tv i'm trying to headline what do i do and he said i could tell you what i would do but i'm older than you and i have 20 years i started 20 years ago and the the game has changed he goes what i would do today is not what i did 20 years ago but then again what i would do today is not necessarily what you should do like we're all different so, I mean, if, if someone asked me what to do, I'd, I'd be like, well, do all the stuff you think you're supposed to do <laughs> because I can't tell you what to do because all I'm doing is telling you what I would do if I was in your shoes with my experience right now, but that's not necessarily what's good for you. It's not a good decision. It may not be a good decision for me. Yeah. So I, I think just write and get on stage as often as possible and follow your heart and try not to fuck it up. There it is, man. All day long. We done did it. Appreciate you guys, man. But dumb chain with Carl. This thing ain't slowing down, man. Follow us on all platforms. Wherever you podcast, you're in the right place, man. Uh, I guarantee we got bangers coming up in the future, man. So keep hanging out with us. And I love you. Hope you love me back. And see you later.